This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. I'm not Pastor Tim, I'm Sean. Does anybody need a Bible this morning before we... A couple people? Isaiah, I'll get you a Bible. Just keep your hand raised so I can get it to you. Um, welcome to Paradise Calvary Chapel, if this is your first time here. Um, as I mentioned, my name is Sean. Um, it's my privilege to share with you guys. Um, but before I get into the actual Bible study, I want to be praying for our pastor. Um, Pastor Tim has been just going through some sickness, physical sickness, and also Grace, his wife. And um, I just invite you guys to join us in, in just praying for him this week. You know, your, your pastors need prayer too. Little plug, shameless plug. But um, we just want to pray for him together collectively. And would you guys also join me in praying for kids ministry, for the offering, everything, the Bible study that the Lord would be honored and have his hand on all of it. So let's pray. Um, Father, this isn't a box that we check. This is a moment where we talk to the creator of all things and we ask you, Lord, to be present here. We know it's your desire, so we're not asking something contrary to who you are. You want to be among your people. You want to reach people. That's why you came. Lord, would you reach Pastor Tim? Would you put your your provident, sovereign hand on his body and his mind. And also for our sister Grace too, Lord, I just pray, God, that you would just bring your healing touch upon them. Give them strength. Encourage them, Lord, I pray. We pray also for their family, Lord, that you'd protect their health from the kids from getting sick. Lord, we lift up the children's ministry. We thank you so much for those um, serving, and we thank you, Lord, for bringing the kids here, Lord. Lord, I pray, God, that you'd help them to recognize and hear your voice, the Good Shepherd, that it's distinct from other voices, and you're the one who ultimately cares about them the most, Lord. So I pray, God, that you just be with the teachers this morning. I pray, Lord, for the offering. I thank you so much, Lord, that you are the God who provides. And I just pray your blessing upon it, and I pray that you would give us wisdom and the stewardship of those resources to the furtherance of your kingdom. And finally, Lord, and really... We just need to hear a word from you. So we just pray, God, this morning as we open your word, God, that you would do things that are supernatural, that you would cause us right now to, to just be still, that you would silence all of the voices and all the circumstances and phone calls and text messages that can kind of just distract our minds away from our focus upon you. Lord, we want to give you this time. We want to set it apart. We want to consecrate it so that you can do a work that is divine. Touch hearts, I pray now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, most of you guys know, so my family and I, I have a wife, Megan, she's in kids ministry, and my four kiddos, we moved back to the U.S. Um, last November after more than 10 years on the mission field, and it was a pretty abrupt transition. It wasn't expected. And sometimes God does that. And, um, you know, oftentimes 
in, in well-being and kindness, people ask us how we're doing. And can I honestly say that sometimes I don't know how to answer that? It's like, ask me in five minutes. <laughs> it doesn't mean God isn't on the throne. It just means there's a lot of different things going on in our season of transition. But what it's caused me to reflect on is that on this side of eternity, while we have breath in our lungs and a beating heart, that God has called us into the process. He has called us into seasons by which He wants to be present with us, but it's not as if we pray the sinner's prayer, we pray the prayer to receive Christ as our Lord and Savior, and then He teleports us immediately to heaven. There's a process. And just all over the Bible, you look at Jesus' teachings, you look at the Old Testament, there's so, much, so many images of planting, of vineyards, of agriculture. There's a, a time to plant, there's a time to plow, there's a time to see growth and new growth, there's a time to see fruitfulness, and there's a time when things die. So there's seasons. And that's kind of what I want to share with you guys this morning, is this is the season that my family is in, but you also are in different seasons. And so what connects us this morning? Why are we all here? It's because he's the one constant. No matter what our age or demographic or bank account says, the thing that is uniting us this morning is the God of this word that we're going to read through. I want to share from Ecclesiastes 3.1. That's not going to be our main text. But in Ecclesiastes 3.1, it says, this is Solomon writing, literally the wisest person of his time, saying, to everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. A lot of songs were written after this about what he's going to say in the next verses. But it helps me in our transition to look at things, and maybe I hope it will help you, that it's a season. And so often I ask people, what season are you in? Your season's different than my season, but what season are you in? I'll also ask, you know, for someone who is, is, is kind of struggling through something and it kind of just, it just all feels like it's coming hard and fast and they're getting, they're drowning. You want to be present with people, but there's also a point where you're like, because of our Lord, because of what he's done, this is an eternal. This is but for a season. Or if you're on the mountaintop and things are going super awesome, hey man, enjoy this season because it's not going to last forever. The season that will last forever will be beyond our imagination and enjoyment in eternity, looking face to face at our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So today, you know, Pastor Tim's been going through Matthew, so obviously we're going to take a break from that and he'll resume God willing, if he's healed and everything's he's going okay, next week he'll resume that study in Matthew. But today I'm going to share with you from 2 Chronicles chapter 14. So I want to share about the early seasons in the reign of King Asa. Okay, the early seasons in the reign of King Asa. And you might say, you know, this is cool, Sean. There's a, a, a king from you know, 3,000 years ago, give or take, who has a position and authority that we don't live in a monarchy here in America. Um, so, like, how does this guy, this dude, relate to me? I want to work through that because he, like you, was just a man or a human 
or woman, and that he also, too, was going through seasons. He was going through season. We're going to cover the early season. I, can I tell you, kind of spoiler alert, that the early season didn't equal what ended up happening at the finishing season? And I'll touch on that more later. But let's look at this early season. We're going to look at 2 Chronicles 14 and read from verses 1 to 8. It says, So Abijah rested with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. Then Asa, his son, reigned in his place. In his days, the land was quiet for ten years. Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. For he removed the altars of the foreign gods and the high places, and broke down the sacred pillars, and cut down the wooden images. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers, and to observe the law and the commandment. He also removed the high places and the incense altars from all the cities of Judah, and the kingdom was quiet under him. And he built fortified cities in Judah, for the land had rest. He had no war in those years, because the Lord had given him rest. Therefore he said to Judah, Let us build these cities and make walls around them and towers and gates and bars while the land is yet before us, because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought Him, and He has given us rest on every side. So they built and prospered. And Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah who carried shields and spears, and from Benjamin, 280,000 men who carried shields and drew bows. And all these were mighty men of valor. A little bit about Asa. For those of you guys that don't know, a name in the Bible, its meaning is super important to the character of that person. Or perhaps the untapped potential, what that person was kind of led to or believed to by his parents to be. Asa's name means healer, and he was going to bring healing to his people, a spiritual healing. In 1 Kings chapter 15, you don't have to turn there, I'm going to read this part to you. It says that his father Abijah just did whatever his daddy did. They did evil, they did idolatry, they just repeated the sins of the father. But it says, contrasting that in 1 Kings 15, nevertheless, for David's sake, God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem by setting up his son after him and by establishing Jerusalem. Asa is this son. Asa is a lamp. And it's not Asa made himself to be this lamp, this light. It's that God made Asa a lamp because of the promises that he made to David. So we have Asa the healer, Asa a lamp or a light to his people. And so this first season, I'm going to break it up kind of in two seasons in the early life of Asa. The first season, this 10 years, this 10 years was a season of removal. It was a season of renewal. And it was a season of rest. Okay? A season of removal, a season of renewal, and a season of rest. 10 years. So Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God. He didn't do what was right in the eyes of the people. That's how the idol worship came. <laughs> he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God. It was a personal relationship that he had with the Lord that caused him to be zealous for the things of God. 
He removed these idols. He broke down these idols. He cut them down. He didn't just kind of set them to the side. He didn't just put them in the garage. He didn't just put a little dirt over them. He removed them, cut them down. Didn't want them among his people. How do we relate to this king from 3,000 years ago? Maybe in the season that you're in, God would be wanting to remove some things. You know, it's, but it's, I, I say this, and I want to say this delicately, because I want to affirm that there's certain things that God, the Holy Spirit, will point his finger on that I want this removed. This is something that's hindering you. This is something that's quenching you, that's not allowing you to experience the fullness of what I want to do in your life. And when the Holy Spirit does that, can I just say to respond? In this case, in Asa's case, it was remove, it was to break down, it was to cut down. Don't have it there anymore. But the second part, the other side of the coin to this, is that he brought renewal. So sometimes, early in my walk, when I rededicate my life back to the Lord, I believed that I had to do all of these things, and it became my Christianity, my faith became built on the things that I don't do. And can I just say that it's not good news? It's, it, it's helpful. I'm not saying that's not helpful, but it's not about what we don't do. What did he replace those altars with? What did he replace those items of idolatry with? Renewal of relationship with God. To seek the Lord, to observe the law. And you see, Asa's choices as a leader had a ripple effect to the people around him. When we make... Good choices, I tell this to my kids, when we make good choices, it's going to affect the people around you. When we make bad choices, it also is going to affect the people around you. Don't buy that lie that this sin or this thing that God is calling me to remove, it's just me. It's just affecting me. It's not hurting anybody else. I can have this hidden sin in my life. It's all good. No, it's not. It's having a ripple effect on the people around you. In Asa's case, he was a king, so his choices mattered. So a season of removal, a season of renewal, and the final one was a season of rest. Okay, In that season of rest, he did not lay down and take naps all day. That's awesome, and there's a place for that. So I'm not condemning nap takers. I love it. But in the season of rest, he started to build. He was proactive. Let's build the walls. Let's fortify the cities. Let's kind of, there's, there's a hole there. Let, let's, let's fill that gap. Let's fill that hole. There's a hole in this ship. Okay, let's, let's, let's patch that up. Let's build it. Because someday we will be out of this season of rest. So let's prepare beforehand in seeking the God and fortifying the city for the next season. Rather than, oh, it's all good. I'm going through a really good season. So you know what? what the tendency that can happen and when we're going through really good seasons, we don't seek the Lord. It's like things are going good. Like, why don't you need to call out to God, you know? Why don't you need to read the Bible? Like, everything's going good right now. When things are going bad, then I will. Because that's, that's the time you do it. But no, it was proactive. He was doing it now. He was fortifying the city. Asa broke the cycle of those that had preceded him, and he changed the course and direction that the nation was on to go back to God. So again, if God is calling you to remove things, to tear things down, to cut them down, it's not that your identity is placed in the things that you don't do. 
It's that you're removing those out of the way so God could take his proper place in your heart and in your life. Okay? To bring renewal. The second part, so we're in the season of rest, 10 years, over and over again it says that. And then let's look at the next verses, verses 9 to 15. Now, before I'm reading this, I'll just tell you right now, at Oz Mission in Ethiopia, no Ethiopian I heard ever te- teach this passage. Okay? Because <laughs> it kind of is, you'll, you'll re- we'll read through it right now. It says, Then Zerah the Ethiopian came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots. And he came to Mereshah. So Asa went out against him, and they set the troops in battle array in the valley of Zephathah at Mereshah. And Asa cried out to the Lord his God, Lord, it is nothing for you to help, whether with many or with those who have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on you. And in your name we go against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. And so the Lord struck the Ethiopians before Asa and Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. And Asa and the people who were with him pursued them to Gerar. So the Ethiopians were overthrown, and they could not recover, for they were broken before the Lord and his army. And they carried away very much spoil. Then they defeated all the cities around Gerar, for the fear of the Lord came upon them, and they plundered all the cities, for there was exceedingly much spoil in them. They also attacked the livestock enclosures and carried off sheep and camels in abundance, and they returned to Jerusalem. So if that first kind of season early in the reign of Asa, those first 10 years was about removal, renewal, and rest, this next season is about opposition and God's deliverance, okay? Opposition and God's deliverance. They were facing a big-time opposition, like literally, not just figuratively, not just figuratively, not just spiritually, but literally. Picture this. 3,000 years ago, a million soldiers marching towards you. Picture how that sounds. A million, two million, sorry, because we have two feet. Two million feet marching towards you, right? And you see the cloud of dust marching towards you. Oh, and by the way, they also have 300 chariots, which are the equivalent today of of tanks. So they're coming towards you. Judah has no tanks. They have 580,000 soldiers. Okay, 580,000 doesn't necessarily equal a million. So clearly it's about a one to two ratio. Okay. The odds don't look good. It's a very big opposition. And what did Asa do in this time? Yeah, he went out to battle. You see that? But I really want to focus on how he cried out to the Lord in the time of opposition. And you guys may be going through a season of opposition right now where you're just facing challenges. Opposition can manifest itself in different ways. It could be grief. It could be health. You know, it could be financial. It could be spiritual. In his time of opposition, as an example to the, also the people around him, he's not like, oh, how do I be a good leader? Now, it's something like I feel like Saul was always conscious of, how do I look to everybody? Asa cried out to the Lord. And he, he gave a big-time prayer in the midst of a big-time opposition. He said, Lord, it's nothing for you, whether with many or with those who have no power. 
Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on you, and in your name we go against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. The attitude of this prayer is urgent. This is inevitable. Look at, Lord, I'm looking over there and I see a million. And I'm looking over here and I'm seeing not enough. I look there, too big. I look here, too small. That's my evaluation. What's the solution? I'm going to cry out to the Lord in the midst of this. Okay. The attitude was urgent, but it was also direct. You know, if we read verse 11, it's, it's not a lengthy prayer, right? There's some lengthy prayers and lengthy songs in the Bible. It's a short prayer. I would venture to think, this is me, this is Sean speaking, that in those 10 years of rest, this probably isn't Asa's first time praying to God. It says he sought the Lord, right? I think he was pretty, he had a pretty strong zeal and desire to draw close to God. And sometimes I think some of our briefest text messages and briefest conversations are with the people that we are in closest relationship to. Because we don't have to describe all the elements. Hey man, I just need you to help me out with this. Hey, could you come over to my house and help me clean my garage? It's not this like, oh, how was your day? Hey, you were really cool the other day. Hey, so, so what's the weather going to be like? You know, it's like this, it's not this long, drawn-out conversation. It was direct. And so I like to think that it only kind of affirms, that the, the brevity of this prayer affirms a relationship that he had with the Lord, but also an urgency. The content of this prayer, if we can look at it and kind of just break it up in bite-sized chunks. First one, Lord, it's nothing for you to help with many, those who have no power. It's not, you're limitless, God. It's not, it's not even a, there's no sweat going on. You're not nervous. You're not disappointed. You're not anxious. It's nothing for you. You don't need us or our resources to accomplish this, to bring this victory. So the focus was on what? God's ability. That's the first thing I want you to see in this prayer, that the focus was on God's ability. Then he goes on and he says, help us, O Lord our God, we rest on you. Okay? There's a couple things from this part that I want you to notice. It's a plural. Us, our, we. It's a collective perspective. It's not just a prayer of, my, hers, his. Fix his problem. No, fix our problem. <laughs> you see the collectiveness, the, the, the perspective of this, of Asa early in his reign, how he viewed himself as part of a dependent people? He didn't say, oh man, your people are weak. There's 580,000 of them, but I, I got a strong faith. No, we, us, our. And the phrase rest on is literally to lean Okay, a picture of this is found in 2 Samuel chapter 1. When Saul is being pursued, he's at the end of his life, and it says there the same word in Hebrew is used that he is leaning on a spear. He's about to die. He's leaning on a spear. And the picture I want you to see here this morning is that Saul had no strength. He had no ability to fight back. So the second point would be that there was a full dependence in this prayer. Lord, we rest on you. We lean on you. You guys know what it's like when you're running? Maybe you haven't ran in a while. Or you're going to high altitude and you're just trying to get that breath in there. And you kind of do put your hands on your knees. Anyone? Yeah? 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 Okay, cool. Um, so make sure you're still awake. So when there's that kind of like, 
you're just gasping because you know you're just trying to get enough air in your lungs. It's, it's a similar picture. Like there's just like this, in a spiritual way, there's this full dependence on the Lord. We rest on you. We lean on you, Lord. We have nothing else to lean on. Then he goes on to say, in your name, we will go against this multitude. So, okay, on one side, let's go over here. We got the million in their chariots. On this side, we got the 580,000. Okay. Asa wants to put God right in the middle. And I know it's just a picture, guys, but sometimes that's what we do in prayer. When we bring our needs to the Lord, we're actually just saying, Lord, this is the need. This is the problem going on. This is what I'm asking you to do. I want to put you in the middle of it because I can't deal with it anymore. And I try to touch it. I try to pick it up off the altar, but then I just make a mess of it. So what I want to do is say that I can't do it. I confess that. And I want to put you right in the middle between their army, that opposition, and me. And ask you to be there. So he put God in the middle. Then he declares in the prayer, you are our God. We are yours. Speaking of ownership, we belong to you. Professing his lordship. You know, we sang a bunch of songs this morning, right? I love just that time of worship. Super just like, you kind of just feel like stuff's just falling off as you're just singing to the Lord. But what we're really doing is declaring and professing who he is through song. We're declaring and professing his ability. We're declaring and professing how we need him. We're declaring and professing his lordship over our life and everything around it. And if sometimes I want to invite you guys to do something and I don't want it to be like this legalistic thing, but sometimes just take a moment and just think about the words of the song. I'm not saying all the time, but sometimes it's, it's good to just reflect on what am I really saying to you, God, right now? What am I really proclaiming and declaring about your character? Because what you're saying is totally true. But part of proclaiming his lordship over you is you're saying, I surrender. <coughs> when I'm singing this song about you being Lord over my, like, I'm, I'm like surrendering it all right now. I came in here into this building. This is literally just a room with a bunch of people, right? But there's something more than that because we're laying things down before the Lord and we're asking him to do something because we can't. We tried, we tweak it, we mess up. Lord, you're the way maker. And then he says, do not let man prevail against you. He proclaims this is your battle. Now he went out there. He didn't have the like, those guys ran out there, his 580,000 ran out there in their underwear. He had them get in their armor, right? But in the midst of it, he says, this is, this is your battle ultimately, Lord. This is, this is about you fighting the battle for us. This is about you going before us. And the Lord did it. So again, just to kind of wrap that up, those, those elements of this prayer, and it's not the only prayer, but just things that maybe would speak to you or just in, in thinking of your own prayer life, a focus on his ability, a full dependence on the Lord, leaning on him because I have nothing else to lean on. I have no strength. Putting God in the middle between you and the opposition. Professing his lordship as we sing, as we pray, Lord, as I'm saying you're Lord, then these things are not. These things are not the Lord of my life. 
these circumstances, these people, others' opinions, these aren't the Lord. These things affect me, but they're not my Lord. So Lord, just, just realign it in my heart. Realign it in my mind. And also, this is your battle. Like you didn't come. I used to think that Christianity was about me doing some stuff, not doing some stuff, and praying a prayer. And then you just kind of got to figure out life in between. So you get this like reservation in heaven. Okay, I got my, my, I got my heavenly reservation, my VIP room set up in heaven. But now I got to figure out the rest of my life. No, he wants to engage. He wants to be involved in your battles. Invite him in. I like this quote from Pastor John Corson. He said, prayer is not to move God. Prayer is to move you with God. I'll repeat it again. Prayer is not to move God. Prayer is to move you with God. As you're bringing the needs to Him, as you're professing those things, as you're laying things down, who are you drawing yourself to? Who are you surrendering it before? God. You're moving and drawing closer to Him. We're not saying, come on over here, God. Come on, you go over here. We're just aligning our hearts with Him. And then in verses 12 to 15, we read that God brought a great deliverance. So there was a big-time opposition. There was a big-time prayer. Now there's a big-time deliverance in this season. And they were victorious. God did it. I love in verse 13 how it says he, they were broken before the Lord and His army. Okay? The Lord was claiming ownership over them. They proclaimed, you're, you're our Lord. He responded back, this is His army. And they got so many spoils. Later on, they would use those to sacrifice in, in chapter 15. They had this opposition of a million and they ended up leaving with all the spoils to take back. And Judah prospered. And I'm going to kind of, for, for, for time's sake, this is a season in Asa's life, but it's not the full picture. That's kind of bummer. You're like, oh man, there's, there's, the Bible will point out the successes, but overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly talks about the fears and failures of our heroes. You could in one sense finish, if the story finished here, we could say, whoa, Asa. Because in chapter 15 too, we'll read, he restored worship. He brought the altar back to Judah. They had this like massive sacrifice. Um, It was a time of peace and a time of prosperity after this battle. And it says this lasted until the 35th year of his reign. So I don't know how long you've been a Christian. You might think like, oh, I'm good. Like, you know, I'm totally depend on the Lord right now and praise God and stay in that season. But for 35 years, God was doing all this. There was this one major battle in between and it was major that God delivered them in. But ultimately in chapter 16, Asa will enter into a season of depending on his experience and human resource alone. Chapters one, verses 1 to 8, it's like when it's one of those scary things, I think, as a Christian, where you kind of want to pray through things because sometimes not every good thing is a God thing, guys. It appeared to be the Lord. Like there's this, there's this other opposition coming, and Asa preemptively made an alliance with another nation, and there was no bloodshed. We might say, dude, as a 
politician, as a king, as a ruler, you did it. No blood was shed. You protected your people and you made this alliance. But God sent someone to tell him something. He said, I was going to give that nation into your hands, that other nation. And there's that famous verse in chapter 16, verse 9. Maybe read it for homework as you go. And it says, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on, on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him, whose heart belongs to him. God wants to show himself strong. But Asa didn't allow the Lord, he didn't give the Lord opportunity and take the time to allow God to show himself strong. And instead of responding and saying, Lord, I was wrong, he got angry and he oppressed people and he got sick. And it says at the end of his life that he didn't seek the Lord, he sought the physicians. And so he like ended bitter, oppressive, and angry. And so we might say, oh man, Asa, how did you get from that to that? Our focus this morning is on the early part of Asa's reign in those two seasons, but I shared with you some of the other seasons. And so what are our takeaways this morning? What do you and I have to unpack and go home with, and how do we bring this home into our situations and lives 3,000 years later? Number one, there are seasons. I just want to just proclaim that this morning. Everything has a season. Everything has a beginning and end outside of things that are eternal in Christ. Again, Ecclesiastes 3.1, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. And later on, he would say, God makes all things beautiful in his time. In whose time? His time. Who makes them beautiful? God. Okay. So there are seasons. The next thing is, as we kind of looked at that early portion of Asa's life and his seasons, there was a season of, of removal and renewal. So we remove things and we renew things. We replace them with something else. So we, renew, we remove the idols and we replace them with the things of the Lord. A season of rest. And a season of opposition. And maybe these aren't a totality. It's not a collective of like every single season that you and I may go through, but it's just a short picture. And I hope you guys get that. But the thing is, is, and I, and I ask people this is, so which season are you in? Are you in a season of rest? Are you in a season of opposition? You might say, oh man, Sean, I got like a little sprinkle to that and a little bit of sprinkle to this. And guys, can I just say it's, it's a season. Remind you of that. So one is, and maybe that's something you reflect on, like what season am I in right now, Lord? But the other side of it, think about this, which season are the others around you in? Because sometimes, can I just say that if you're in a mountaintop and restful season and things are going really great, God bless you, that is awesome. But sometimes we can parade some things and give people so much of us that we actually discourage them in their seasons. Because you might be on a mountaintop, but the other person may be in a valley. So be sensitive to those people. You might say, oh, that guy's such a jerk. Well, maybe he was just going through a bad season. Like maybe he's just in a rough spot. Maybe there's stuff going on at home. Maybe, maybe she's struggling with finances. Maybe there's you know, something happened in their family. Maybe there's sickness. Give the person the benefit of the doubt to understand that they're still in a season. 
none of us, I will confess this, none of us are finished products. We're all still being in process. Okay? So, you know, I shared um, a couple weeks ago about, um, on a Wednesday, about John chapter 11, right? And I bring this up and I hope it'll you know, connect the dots in this. And John chapter 11, for those of you guys who don't know, is a passage where Jesus has these people that he loves, um, a brother and two sisters, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. And Lazarus, he gets this memo, this message, Lazarus is sick, he's dying. The one you love is sick, come. And Jesus waits like two days before he leaves. And then he travels the two days. He comes, Lazarus is dead. Both sisters come to Jesus with the very, at separate times, the very same exact words. If you had been here, our brother would still be alive. Did Jesus say the same thing to both of them? Those of you guys that know this story? So to one, and if I, look, I liken it to this, to the one who needed to know and be reminded that Martha, that he was still in control, Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life, Martha. I'm the resurrection and the life. Mary came later. Did he say that to Mary? No. What did he do with Mary? To the one who needed to know that Jesus still cares, he wept. This is the crazy part. Jesus knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. So it's not this insincere, fake tears. The weight of that situation and people he loves going through grief was so heavy on Jesus that he cried with Mary. And that's, that's an example of us being present and asking the Lord for help to understand where a person is at in the season and how we can bring Jesus in the middle of it. It's not saying, well, I'm going good. Things are going good in my life right now. I don't need to worry about that. I'm, we're good. No, it's which season are you in? And just have a sensitivity to God's leading for where the other people around you may be at. They may not be and probably are not in the same season you're in. Be present. Be loving. The next thing, so I had, sorry, the takeaways. There are seasons. Which season are you in and others in? The next one is, um, what's Ace's example? To engage the Lord from the text that we read, to engage the Lord in each season. Seeking Him in times of peace. Preparing in times of peace. Okay? When things are going well. Seeking Him in times of peace. But also praying in times of opposition. Lord, I'm going to lay this before you. Whatever season you're in, we all have the opportunity to engage the Lord right where we are at. God wants to have a relationship with you and I. It's not a distant God. It's one that we can engage with not only when we are good, when we are struggling. You know, it, it broke my heart when we would, um, so in Ethiopia, we, work with the, we serve with at, a, at an orphanage ministry. And so every once in a while, you ask the kids, you know, some questions. And so I ask, you know, the, the kids, I said, you know, does Jesus, how many of you guys think that Jesus loves you when you're good? And I said, how many of you think that Jesus loves you even when you're bad? Like a couple people, but most people are like this. Can I just say that's reflective of most people. It's not just kids. But it's not the, the heart of the Lord. 
He loved us that while we were yet sinners, when we were his enemies, that he sent his son to die for us. It doesn't mean, and it's not, a, it's not a license to like, okay, well, I'll just be sinful. I'll just make terrible choices. That's not the license. That's not what it's for. It's actually saying that God can engage you in every season of your life, wherever you're at. It's not I have to get cleaned up. I got to be good. I got to have my good outweigh my bad. Whatever season you're in, you have the opportunity. You and I have the opportunity to engage the Lord. And finally, the one I didn't touch on back in the seasons, because I don't think it's a season, guys. There's a season of deliverance where it's obviously from like if we're praying for healing for somebody, if we're praying for somebody's salvation on this side of eternity, there's, there's elements and times when God does deliver in those seasons, and he may not. But the one that is the totality for you guys that I want to remind you of this morning is his deliverance is eternal. It's divine. So that's why I put it in its own category. The story we read was a moment in time from 3,000 years ago where, where this army that was delivered against all odds. But that story points us to something else. You see, you and I, we face an impossible death sentence as a result of sin, as a result of choices, poor choices that you and I have made. And no amount of good choices we make can cover really those bad choices. They can change and impact the others around us. I'm not saying that good choices don't. But what I'm saying that it couldn't fix God and I. My good choices just don't, don't, don't fix that gap. And so we had a death sentence as a result of sin. And then all of the things associated with it, the shame that comes with the sin, the guilt and the shame. You know, for many of us, we don't need someone to tell us that we, we sin. Some of us think like, oh, I'm the sin police. That guy's sin. Hey, you're sinning right now. Hey, you're sinning over there. Hey, what about you? You're, you're sinning. That's not what our job is, guys. We're to bring hope to sinners. We're to bring deliverance to sinners in the form of Jesus. So, so it's things associated, I mentioned shame. What about the penalty? And the wages of sin is death. So we're delivered from the penalty of sin in our life. We're delivered from the power of sin. Romans tells us that. It's not just, it's not just that God says, okay, I forgive you of your sin. He doesn't want us to be ruled by it anymore. We actually can say, no thanks. No. Before, we were slaves of it. So we can't really say, you know, uh, well, yeah, I guess, maybe. We can say no. We can choose a different path. But the, I guess the worst thing of that death sentence is, is, was it, it had a separation from God. And God wanted to reconcile us to himself. He wanted to, uh, reconcile, he wanted to bring us back to himself. He wanted to close the separation gap. He wanted to be in the middle of sin and death and us, he wanted to put himself in the middle. So Akim came 900 years after Asa, a better king, to rescue you and I to himself. Asa was a lamp, right? First Kings 15 said that. Asa was a lamp, but the better king proclaimed himself to be the light of the world, right? The better king proclaimed himself to be the light of the world. Asa's name meant healer, and though he brought awesome reforms to the people, they were temporal. The better king brought divine and eternal healing through his own sacrifice on a criminal's cross. So he not only said, I want to heal you, he became 
the means by which we are healed. Asa started great but didn't finish well. The better king, according to John 17, verse 4, our better king declared to his father and said, I have finished the work you have given me to do. He also said in John 19.30 on a criminal's cross where he hung for our sins, he said it is in Hebrews 12, chapter 2, when we are running and we fall and we're weak, who do we look to? The author and finisher of our faith. The totality of it. Every season in between. He's the beginning of it and He's the end of it. He is the author of it and the finisher of it. One more verse. Almost done. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 9 and 10. It says, yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves. That we should not trust in ourselves, this is Paul writing, but in God who raises the dead. And I want you to notice three things in this verse. Who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us and in whom we trust that He will still deliver us. Past, present, future. You see the deliverance? So, while looking at Asa's story, it kind of makes us long for more. And that's what kind of the Old Testament does, right? Okay, cool, that, that's awesome, but it's not really super fulfilled. These are shadows, right? But it's pointing us to a better king. It's pointing us to Jesus. Only He had the ability to deliver us from our past, our present, and our future. You see, the deliverance of God is, is eternal. Okay? We're going to have moments on this side of eternity where we struggle with things and we're going to go through things just like everybody in the world does. Hardships, sickness, death, peril, relational problems. Okay? We're going to all go through those things. Those, those, in the, those that are professing Christians and those that are atheists and those, everyone in between, every single group, everyone goes through the same stuff. The only difference is that we know as Christians, our confidence is that our ultimate deliverance has been taken care of, that this is not the end. If you don't have Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then this is kind of all that it's, that's all that it is. There's a totality to it. It's the end. Here, this is it. Maybe we could say that our legacy goes on and we can pour into the next generation and all of those things, but really, ultimately, we will end. For the Christian, we will end in human form, but our spirit will be face-to-face with Jesus for all eternity. So our deliverance this morning, believer, is eternal. It's not temporal. Whatever situation, whatever season you're in. So His name is Jesus, this King. In whatever season you're in, God sent His only Son to bring you eternal deliverance. For some of us, I just want to remind you of that this morning. Maybe we just need to be reminded of that. And it's just a season. It's just a season. God's taking care of my biggest opposition that I could ever go against. It's just a season. I can get through this with God's help. Or if we're in the mountaintop, man, this is an awesome season. I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to be mindful. I'm going to be sensitive. I'm going to enjoy this season because God's allowed me to enjoy it. He appointed this season in my life. 
I want to pray for you guys. I want to pray that you would walk in the reminder of that deliverance. And for those that maybe it's like, I don't know if he's my Lord. Like, I don't know about this whole Christianity thing. But that sounds awesome. If you have questions, we're here to be present with you. But I think if the Lord is kind of prompting your heart, that he wants you to know that he wants to enter into a relationship with you. And that's why he came. You know, it isn't, if, if, if Asa was good enough, then we could be good enough. But Asa wasn't. And so we look to the one who is the real, as we kind of learned this last weekend, the real superhero. And it's not us. Let's pray. Father, um, I thank you, Lord, that you are the God that is constant in every season. Lord, you don't change. Your promises are sure. Your mercies are new. Your love is steadfast. So many things change in our life. And whatever our present circumstance or season is, Lord, we could think that this is bigger than something that was a couple years ago or this is the biggest decision of my life. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But it still doesn't change for the believer this morning where we're at with you. You delivered us from our ultimate shame and guilt and penalty and power to something that's eternal. Lord, help us to walk in confidence this morning. Help us to walk in truth. Help us to walk knowing that you're the God who has our seasons. And for those that are seeking, for those that don't yet know you, Lord, I just pray, God, that they would know that you are the God who wants to be in the middle of all of everything. That you are the God that wants to not only bring forgiveness, but wants to bring real life that wants to bring eternal deliverance, something we could never purchase or do. Thank you for the example of Asa, Lord. We can learn from good examples and the good part of Asa's life. We can also learn from the bad examples. We don't want to have to go through that, Lord. If any of us are over-relying on our experience and on our resources and just on other things, Lord, I pray, God, that you would cause us to repent from those things, Lord. We want only your best, Lord. So thank you for meeting us here this morning. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name. Amen.